Ezekiel chapter 36, starting at verse 24. For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors. You will be my people, and I will be your God. And the second reading is 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now, about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them, and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between Spirits to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, 
while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for one another. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now eagerly desire the greatest gifts. And yet, I will show you the most excellent way. Let's uh, pray once again that God would give us understanding of his word. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word that you have written for us. And Lord, we do pray that now by your spirit, you would give us understanding so that we might renew our hearts so as to know you, so as to be obedient to you, and so as to hear all that you've written. And we ask it all in in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I've got a sound that I want to play for you, something that some of you know very well, and something that's very new to the rest of you, but let's hear it. to my ears. Now that sound, it sounds like a old dial-up internet modem circa 1993. That is the excruciating amount of time we used to have to wait in order to connect to the internet. Those of you who never had to experience that sound, that's what it sounds like. But actually, my friends, that sound is a promise. And it was the promise of a a bright new future, a, a new humanity that was connected a humanity that was informed and intelligent in ways that seemed impossible in previous generations. Uh, that was the promise of, of a new understanding that would su- suddenly, for the first time in all human history, kind of bring us all together. Because that was what the internet promised to do. That's what we were, we were told and taught that it would do back when the internet was bright and shiny and new. And of course, each generation of the internet, you know, when broadband came along and then when social media came along and each new generation of social media that's come out, they've all kind of made something of that same promise that somehow these things would finally bring us together as human beings. And yet, where are we now, 30 years into the internet? And I can't help but feel that we are more divided and more antagonistic towards each other than ever before. And the very thing that promised to bring us all together now is so often seeming to divide us more than ever before. Now today I want to talk to you about 1 Corinthians 12. That's the passage that we have before us. And 1 Corinthians 12 is a passage about spiritual gifts. But spiritual gifts, like the internet, They're meant to unite us. 
They're given by the Holy Spirit to bring us together, as we read, as the body of Christ. But sadly, just like the internet, spiritual gifts so often divide Christians. And not the gifts themselves. After all, that would be uh, counter to their very nature and counter to the reason why the Holy Spirit gives them. But our different understandings of them, our different understandings of the role that they play in our lives and the place that they have in our church has so often split churches apart. Even as we read 1 Corinthians 12, it's splitting the Corinthian church apart. Right there in the middle, you can see some people don't feel like they belong at all. They're saying, I don't belong. I don't really, I'm not really part of this body. And others are saying, no, you're not, are you? You don't actually belong. You're not really one of us. It's, it's already in, in 1 Corinthians 12, it's splitting this church apart. But sadly, that is so often what it has done down through history. Uh, even in our own churches, you know, the 80s, even the 90s, when dial-up internet was a brand new, bright and shiny thing. Differences over spiritual gifts were splitting churches. In fact, not even our own St. Matthews was spared this. In the late 80s, spiritual gifts was a very controversial and divisive topic, even here at St. Matthews. And so even though that might feel like a long time ago, we need to learn lessons. We need to learn the lesson that 1 Corinthians 12 teaches us. Uh, learn that the, these gifts that God has given by His Holy Spirit are meant to bring us together and not to drive us apart. And so we need to listen to Paul as he teaches us about spiritual gifts. So I've got three things that I want to talk to you about tonight, three quick things that I want to talk to you about. One, the gift to all believers from verses 1 to 3. Secondly, I want to talk to you about the gifts to all believers in verses 4 to 11. And then thirdly, I want to talk to you about the purpose of the gifts in the rest of the chapter. And then I'll just finish with a few things. I want to try and be as practical as I can for us at the end with just a few things that this can't mean for us in our life together as Uni Church. So firstly then, the gift to all believers. Come with me to verse 1, to 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1. Paul starts like this. He says, Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. See, Paul doesn't want us to be ignorant about spiritual things and, and spiritual gifts. And so he tells us there is one first and foundational gift of the Holy Spirit to all believers. And it is the gift of being able to acknowledge the Lordship of Jesus Christ, not just with our lips, but in our lives. It's the ability to say, Jesus is Lord, and really mean it. And he even gives uh, the opposite gift as well. The Holy Spirit also makes it impossible to curse Jesus and to deny him. And this is really important. This is foundational for Paul because Paul knows that he is speaking to a group of people who know that spiritual experiences are not the sole domain of Christianity and the Holy Spirit. Uh, to people who were at one time, verse 2, influenced, led astray, carried away by the pagan worship of mute idols and false gods, 
that was so common in the city of Corinth. And with that came a whole host of experiences that these Corinthians had known very well. Dreams, visions, ecstatic utterances, uncontrolled movements of the body, unexpected feelings and emotions, the the hearing of voices. Paul knows he's speaking to a very spiritually experienced group of people. And so he writes to teach them about what is unique about the gift of the Holy Spirit what true Christian spirituality is like, as opposed to the pagan spirituality of the temples. And what is unique about the Holy Spirit is that He leads you, He carries you to acknowledging the Lordship of Jesus. The unique Christian spiritual experience is obedience to Jesus Christ, our Saviour. Now again, that doesn't sound enormously spiritual to to some of us and yet actually it's incredibly spiritual if you understand where it comes from in the Old Testament because really this is the answer to one of the great problems of the Old Testament. The great struggle of the Old Testament was the recurring failure of God's people to live in obedience to the God who had saved them. Time and time again they failed God no matter how gracious and loving and kind and merciful he was towards them. Uh, Just this last week, I've been reading the book of Judges with my daughter, Anika. Uh, It's very interesting to read the book of Judges with a little six-year-old girl. We're not up to Samson yet. You can ask me how it goes when we get there. Uh, But right at the beginning, it's really interesting. We we, we were reading about how uh, the people of God were led finally into the promised land by, by Joshua. And they all obeyed God while Joshua was alive. But as soon as Joshua died... They forgot all about the God who led them out of Egypt. They forgot all about the God who provided for them for 40 years in the desert. They forgot all about the God who'd given them the promised land. And they immediately started worshipping the false gods, the Baals and the Ashtoreths of those who'd lived in the land before them. They were led astray to mute idols and false gods. Of course, that's just one example of many that we could draw from. But the point is this. Out of his great kindness, God also promised by his prophets in places like Ezekiel 36 that we read, that one day God would send his Holy Spirit on his people. And that when he did that, he would take away from them their heart of stone that was so unyielding towards God and he would warm their hearts. He would give them a heart of flesh. He would give them his spirit so that now they would want to obey God. From the heart, not begrudgingly just because there were rules imposed upon them, but because they really loved him, because the Holy Spirit really moved them to obedience to God their Saviour. And what Paul is saying here in this chapter is that time has now come. Now that Jesus Christ has offered the one true and sufficient sacrifice for sins, now that he has risen from the dead, now that God the Father has given him all authority, now he pours out upon his people the Holy Spirit. So now we can call Jesus Lord and mean it and really live it out. That's unbelievably exciting when you realise just how big a problem this has been for God's people for so long. In other words, the Lordship of Jesus Christ is not a human discovery. If you call Jesus Lord right here, right now, if you call Jesus Lord today, It's not because you're clever. 
or wise. It's not because you discovered some great secret of the universe. Instead, it's because you have been given an enormous gift. The Holy Spirit has come into your life and given you a new heart. What a thing we have to be thankful to God for. Now, it's usually about this part of the sermon when people start to think, I wonder if I've got the Holy Spirit. How do I know whether or not the Holy Spirit is, is in me? You know, what, what does that actually feel like? What's the evidence in my life that I have the Holy Spirit? Uh, and I want to say to you, verse 3 is your test that we just read. If you believe Jesus is Lord, if you want to live for him, if you're seeking to work that out in your life with all its ups and downs, with all its, its struggles, and you know, sometimes it does feel like two steps forward and one step back, or one step forward and two steps back, but if you're struggling and living and wanting to live for Jesus, then that's the evidence that you have the Holy Spirit. You can only call Jesus Lord and mean it if the Holy Spirit is in your life. And how do we know whether or not we're a spirit-filled church? Well, the answer is, as we look around and as we see people calling Jesus Lord, especially for the first time, and as we see people living out their obedience to Jesus Christ, we're seeing the sign of the Holy Spirit amongst us. And so please don't let anyone cause you to doubt verse 3. Please don't let anyone suggest to you that unless you've had a particular experience of the Spirit or unless you have a particular gift of the Spirit, unless you speak in tongues or unless you prophesy, please don't let them ever suggest to you that somehow your Christian spirituality is deficient and that you somehow need another experience of the Holy Spirit. Because Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12 verse 3, that the mark of the Holy Spirit in your life is a desire to live with Jesus as your Lord. True Christian spirituality is living in obedience to the words of our Saviour. That's the sign of the Holy Spirit being at work in your life. Don't let anyone cause you to doubt it. And if you take nothing else away from today, remember this and treasure it for the rest of your life. But Paul does keep going. There is more to learn. Because after giving the first gift, being able to call Jesus Lord, the Holy Spirit also gives gifts, plural, to all believers. Have a look at verse 4, would you? Paul goes on to say this. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord there are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Now, having received that, that first and foundational gift of the Holy Spirit, calling Jesus Lord, the Spirit also gives gifts to each believer. We all have gifts, gifts given from the Holy Spirit. Gifts that differ from one another by design. And so again, a particular spiritual gift, having a particular spiritual gift, 
is no indication of our spirituality. It's no indication as to whether or not the Holy Spirit is within you because we all have gifts. We all have different gifts. But all those gifts are given, verse 7, for the common good. They're given so that we might work together for the benefit of the whole, for the benefit of all of us. So that we might give ourselves to the church in different ways. In fact, in verses 4 and 5 and 6, he uses a couple of different words. He talks about gifts and ministries and activities. And it's almost as if Paul is collecting kind of all the different words that we might use to describe serving one another in love. Seeing to the needs of our church and to each individual in it. Uh, he even then goes on in verses 8 to 10 to, uh, to list out what some of these gifts are. I don't think the list in verses 8 to 10 is exhaustive. Uh, There are other lists as well in places like Romans 12 and 1 Peter 4 and Ephesians 4. Uh, But even if you combine them all, I don't think you get an exhaustive list of all the spiritual gifts. The point that Paul is making is much simpler. We all serve, but we all serve in different ways. We all bring different things to the table. Uh, Nor does Paul even define what all of the gifts are. Uh, That's not Paul's purpose in this passage. Uh, What Paul means by some of the gifts becomes clear the further we sort of go along in this section. So by the time we get to 1 Corinthians 14 in a few weeks' time, uh, we'll begin to understand what gifts like tongues and prophecy actually do mean. But we must be careful, I think. We must exercise some caution in trying to define what all these gifts are uh, straight away. Uh, there are lots of hints, I think, in the, in the Scriptures, lots of hints in the book of Acts, lots of hints even here in 1 Corinthians. But we must also always be careful from being, again, carried away by the spiritual experiences that we may have had or that we may have heard of others as having. Uh, we must always be very careful that we interpret our experiences in light of what the Scriptures have to say. Uh, rather than doing the opposite and interpreting the scriptures in light of the particular spiritual experiences we or others might have had. Uh, The Bible has authority in this, even over our own understanding of our experience. But really what's important here is that we realise that everyone has some demonstration of the Spirit for the common good. Everyone has something to contribute and not every contribution is the same. And so can I just offer you for a moment uh, some wisdom from my own experience, which means you're allowed to take this or keep it, do whatever you want with it. But usually, again, by this point in the sermon, uh, people are asking, well, I wonder what my spiritual gift is. I wonder what the Holy Spirit has given to me. And that's a good question. That's a great question. That's not a wrong question at all to ask. But because spiritual gifts are given for the common good, I think a much more helpful question to ask is, What is the common good? How is it that I could serve? What's needed? What would be beneficial here amongst this group of people, here in my church? Uh, What needs doing around here? Whom can I serve? Uh, And I think that if you, uh, you know, ask that question of yourself, who can I serve? How can I be of use uh, to this group of people? If you kind of throw yourself into the serving of God's people, then my experience is that your spiritual gifts will become apparent pretty quickly. We'll be able to work it out pretty quickly together. And I think one of the great joys of, of being in church together is, is seeing people, is watching people throw themselves into the service of God's people here in church, serving in mania, doing all sorts of things. 
and then finding the place where they can really joyfully be productive in their service of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think that's a, a really wonderful experience that we can have together. And so, yes, as important as it is to ask, what are my spiritual gifts? I think better to ask, how can I serve? Who can I serve? What can I do that is of benefit around here? But that brings me to my next question then. Why does the Holy Spirit do it this way? You know, why does the Holy Spirit choose to distribute these gifts amongst us? What's the the purpose of the Holy Spirit in scattering all these gifts among us? After all, it's not the only way that the Holy Spirit could have done things. He could have chosen to give all of the gifts to just a few people and then we could have made them do all the work. But he doesn't do that. He, He scatters them amongst us all so that we all have a way of contributing. Why does he do that? Well, I think verse 12 and onwards seeks to answer that question. And this is where Paul introduces one of the great illustrations of what it means to be a church. The illustration of the body. Come with me to verse 12. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. It's a simple illustration, really. As with our bodies, so it is with our church. Just as our bodies are one body with many parts, and yet all the parts serve for the good of the whole, so too in the church. One body, but many parts, many members, many, many people, all serving one another for the good of the whole and the unity of the whole. And so that's why the, the Spirit has, has distributed the gifts amongst us, uh, so that we can know, so that we can understand how much we truly need one another. The Spirit hasn't distributed gifts to make us one. He makes us one when He comes into our life and He moves us to call Jesus Lord. When, when we are baptized in the Holy Spirit, we are baptized into the body of Christ. But now that we are, to unite us together as that body, He gives us all gifts to serve one another. And yet, very sadly, these gifts given to unite us are so often used to divide. And so Paul, in the next section, he addresses two groups in particular, really to emphasise the wisdom of God's arrangement. Because some people, in verse 15 and onwards, are feeling excluded. They're feeling left out. They're feeling like they don't belong. And they're, they're outsiders. They're even kind of saying, oh, you know, I, I don't feel like I'm part of this body. I'm, I'm a foot, but I don't feel like I belong. But every part of the body needs every other part of the body. Paul gently corrects. They, every, the body needs what each brings to the whole. And so even if the foot does say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body... Actually, it doesn't stop the foot from being part of the body and it doesn't stop the foot from being an indispensable part of the body. There is no place for any of us to say, I don't belong or I have nothing to contribute or I'm not part of this body. All the parts of the body are needed for the common good. Uh, The second group of people in, in verse 21 onwards are very different. They're not the excluded, they're the excluders. They're the egotistical, the the arrogant. They're very proud of their spiritual gifts. 
but they lack both love and understanding. And so Paul is not quite so gentle with them. In verse 21, he makes it very clear to them, no part of the body can say to another part, I don't need you. However small, however minor, however weak someone else's service might seem to us, they are part of the body. In fact, verse 22, they are an indispensable part of the body, says Paul. All are needed. And so often the problem is one of perception, one of seeing things the way that we perhaps once saw things when we too might have been led astray to mute idols and false gods. We are often very quick to judge that some gifts are more spiritual and more impressive than others, and therefore the people who have those gifts must be more spiritual and more impressive and even more important than those who have other gifts. But Paul is making it clear that that attitude couldn't be more wrong. And yet it's a very easy trap to fall into. I just go back to some of the examples of the gifts that Paul talked about in verses 8 to 10. There are some impressive sounding gifts in that list, aren't there? Gifts of healing, miraculous powers, messages of wisdom. Those gifts sound awfully impressive, awfully spiritual. Surely they are the important gifts. And surely those that have them are awfully spiritual and awfully impressive and awfully important amongst us. Other gifts, on the other hand, are much more ordinary. Uh, Later on in verse 28, Paul uh, mentions the gift of guidance, or in uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 8, he talks about the gift of leading. They're both actually the same gift. They're often called the gift of administration. That doesn't have the same sort of oomph, does it, as gifts of healing or the work, the gift of administration. Who would like the, the gift of administration, you know? It doesn't sound nearly as impressive or nearly as, as spiritual or nearly as important as any of the others. Putting together rosters and staring at Excel spreadsheets, that's about the least spiritual thing you can possibly do, isn't it? It doesn't kind of really stack up. Surely that's an unimportant gift. And it's a short step there to saying, surely the person who has that gift is an unimportant Christian. Perhaps not even one of us at all. But that is just not true. No part of the body, no matter how impressive they might seem, no matter how spiritual they might seem, can ever say to any other part of the body that they don't belong or that they aren't needed or that they aren't important. And by the way, let me kind of tell you that as the senior minister of St. Matthew's, people with the gifts of administration are worth their weight in goals. Uh, What is spiritual about gifts is who gives them and the, the fact that they're for the good of the church as a whole, that they're given for the common good. And our church thrives because of a whole lot of people with gifts that don't seem spiritual at all to some people. Gifts of administration and finances and generosity and and governance and, and technology. All those kinds of gifts are needed. And it isn't up to us to arrange how the Holy Spirit distributes his gifts amongst us. That's his job in verse 11. And that is one that he shares with God the Father in verse 18. But because of how prone to error we are about these things, 
and to, to causing division based on our different attitudes towards different spiritual gifts. Uh, Paul does say in verses 23 and 24 that the gifts aren't arranged uniformly. Uh, instead, God gives special honour to those parts that actually seem less important. Uh, some parts, some people, they need no special honour. Uh, their gifts and why we need them are obvious to all. There is no need to to give special honour to those who preach or teach amongst us. We know who they are and we know why we need them. But to some parts and some people, well, actually they do need special honour. Their gifts and why we need them is less obvious. And so we might be tempted to think that we don't need them. But actually, no, we do. And we need to to realise that. You know, you actually... We do need people with certain gifts. You watch how quickly we'll start to scramble around if the tech team up the back is not here one week. Or, you know, the whole place begins to fall apart, I must confess, when certain members of our administrative team are are sick or on holidays. And, you know, if no one is here to kind of have some supper for us, then certainly I'll start to hear about it if there's not a cup of tea or coffee after church. But really, the point that Paul is trying to make is in verse 25. He wants there to be no division in the body. He wants to see the body of Christ united, each of us concerned for each other, so that we can be a church of real empathy and love. Have a look at verse 26. Let me read verse 26 to you, because it's such a beautiful picture of church. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. What a a great fellowship, what a great community to be be part of. Suffering together, rejoicing together, honouring each other together. Isn't that the kind of community that you want to be a part of? That's the kind of thing that Paul is imagining as he writes these words of 1 Corinthians 12. And the gifts that bring us together, like this, the body of Christ that the Holy Spirit has made us to be, closer in some ways than even family, all parts serving, all parts contributing, all parts loving and being loved. It's a beautiful picture of our life together as a church that Paul has for us in this chapter. So as I finish up, let's just talk quickly. Let's be practical for a moment, shall we? Let's just think for a moment about what this can't mean for us as a church. What would be impossible? What attitudes would be impossible? Because this chapter is in the Bible. And I've got five that I want to talk to you about really quickly. Uh, First of all, we can't be proud or arrogant. Uh, Within the, the book of 1 Corinthians as a whole... Pride is one of the great sins of the Corinthian church. And even in this chapter, we can see some people were very proud of these gifts that they had. And it was doing great damage to others. They were a very gifted, but also a very arrogant church. But we cannot take pride in our gifts. Because they are exactly what they say they are. They are gifts. Now, I realised this week that suddenly it's September and that means that Christmas is coming disturbingly quickly. It's all downhill from here. We'll be there before we know it. Uh, And, you know, when you get a gift at Christmas, there's kind of two responses you can have when you receive it, aren't there? 
Uh, you could say, look at how wonderful I am that I've received this magnificent gift. I must be really important. I must be really special. Or you can say, actually, look at how wonderful they are. Look at how generous they are. Look at how, how lovely they are that they've given me such a special and such a wonderful gift. And which one of these sounds like the response of a follower of Jesus Christ? We are the recipients of a great kindness. Because of the gift of the Holy Spirit, we can call Jesus Lord. And even now, he's given us a place in the body of Christ where we can make a tangible contribution. And so the honour belongs not to us, but to the giver. Spiritual gifts are never for self-promotion. Look at how wonderful I am. Spiritual gifts are never for church promotion. Look at how wonderful my church is. Wouldn't you like to be part of my church? And spiritual gifts are never for excluding others. That somehow if someone doesn't have the right gift, they don't belong here. Whatever has been given, we use in the humble service of others considering others more important than ourselves because that too was the attitude of Christ towards us. Secondly then, we can't be jealous of each other's gifts. Uh, There is a strong theme, wasn't there, of God's wisdom, the Holy Spirit's wisdom in his arrangement of the gifts. And so we do need to be content with what the Spirit gives us. Uh, We need to remember that Actually, we are all on the same side. Uh, We all want the same thing. We aren't in competition with one another. And this can be especially important because sometimes there are people who are gifted in similar ways to us, uh, but sometimes they can just be better at it than we are. Let me give you a very honest example. Every preacher struggles with jealousy. Every preacher struggles with envy. Every preacher from one time or another would like to be counted amongst one of the greats, commanding loyal legions of of listeners to their sermons, people who go over them again and again and again, to have their sermons held up as the model and the example for other people to follow. We all struggle with that. But those great ones, their gifts were given to them by the Spirit, same as mine. And their goal is the common good. Same as mine. And their glory belongs not to them, but to the giver. Same as mine. Thirdly then, we can't be consumers when we come to church either. We do not come to church just to receive. We do not come to church just to be served. We come to church to serve. This is not a lecture. Uh, This is not a a concert. Uh, This is a body. We come to give, not just to get. We come to serve, not just to be served. And this is the kind of revolution that we need as we understand uh, what it means to come to church. We come ready to work. We come ready to do things for other people. We come not to make sure that our needs are met, but actually to make sure that other people's needs are met. And then, of course, our needs will be met as we all have this attitude together. And this means that church sometimes is 
a little bit more like going to work than it is going out and, and spending time with friends. Sometimes it's exciting, sometimes it's not. There are times when coming to church can be hard and, and frustrating and even draining. Church is tiring and, and painful at times as well as being refreshing and encouraging and challenging because that's part of what it means to be in the body of Christ as we serve one another. But also, we can't doubt that we have something to offer as we do come together. Every follower of Jesus has something to contribute, some gift to share, some opportunity to show love. Every one of us has something to offer. And so as you mull over these things, as you think about these things tonight, know this, God has not failed you. God has given you something to contribute to our church. And God has not failed our church either. The Holy Spirit has given you what you need so that we might have everything that we need. And so none of us must ever say that somehow we do not belong or or that we aren't needed. And in fact, even our our very differences from one another, uh, that's good news, not bad news. Because that is what God has decided that this body needs. And so please don't underestimate your significance when it comes to the common good. Our church would be poorer without you. There is some way for you to serve. Many of you I know, of course, know this already and and I see you serving in all sorts of different ways and I thank God for you. Others of us just need a little bit of a nudge to find our best place to serve, a little bit of encouragement to even get started. And sometimes that's what we all need. But perhaps that would be helped with my last thing that I want to say tonight because we also, we can't undervalue people. It can be easy to take each other for granted in church sometimes. Every week you you come to church, the lights are on, the outlines are all kind of ready to go. The, the welcomers are, are welcoming. The music is ready. The prayers are prepared. The, the readings are practiced. I could go on and on. But all of this only happens because people are doing what 1 Corinthians 12 teaches. And so we mustn't take people for granted. We must not become presumptuous of people's service. Instead, we ought to be deeply thankful to God and to each other for the many different ways that people serve in our church. Giving special honour to those who deserve it, not treating each other exactly the same, but in accordance with their needs. But knowing that we need each other and therefore knowing the value of each other. Valuing the gift that the Spirit has given them. Valuing them as a person, as a brother and sister in Christ, as part of the body all just as important as one another, all just as impressive as one another, all just as spiritual as one another, for we all call Jesus Lord. And I think if these are our attitudes, then I think, praise God, we will be in no danger of dividing over the issue of spiritual gifts like sadly so many churches had. Instead, I think we will then be united together 
just as the Holy Spirit intended. When he came into your life, when you first called Jesus Lord, and even now as he empowers you to serve each other. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we are the body of Christ and each of us is part of it. Thank you for what you have given us. For you have given us your spirit so that we might call Jesus Lord. You have given us gifts that we might serve and that we might make a a contribution to your people. And you have given us brothers and sisters in Christ that we might each benefit from their service and their gifts that you have given them. Lord, we do pray that there might be no division amongst us over these things. May each of us honour one another for what you have given us. And Lord, may you make us the church that you call us to be. Lord, a church that rejoices and suffers and serves and grows and loves and disciples and does all of these things together for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.